0: Hey Randy, as we come to the end of Q3 and now basically it's new year, I thought we should revisit one of our earlier topics on community building.
1: Okay, you know, that sounds great, but it's definitely not nearly the new year. We've still got 107 days to go.
0: Yes, and it's 101 sleeps until Christmas, but you don't want to be rushing around at the last minute to buy me a present or to start planning for next year's strategic updates. Um so anyway.
1: Well, you know me, I love building communities and talking about building them so
0: I'm all in.
1: So let's go back to our chat with Emily Weber on communities of practice. <laughs>
0: the product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product.
1: Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love.
0: Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos.
1: Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities and more.
0: Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you.
1: Emily, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, For anyone who doesn't already know you, and I'm sure there's only two or three people out there who fit that description, can you give us a quick introduction? Who are you? How did you get into product agile space? And why are you here today?
2: So I'm Emily. Hello. Uh, I call myself different things depending on who it is that I'm speaking to. Uh, often call myself agile, delivery, consultant, coach, trainer, that kind of thing. Uh, I tend to my my area of agile, I guess, my area of delivery uh, tends to be around people and how uh, you know we're organisations of people, how people work together in order to be effective to deliver things. Um, and I got into uh, Agile, like any good Agile practitioner. I have a master's in fine art, of course. <laughs> 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 uh, and uh, I kind of, uh, bizarre route, which, which took me through uh, things like being a producer, working in um, a arts and music organisation, making making things happen, making projects happen, bringing people together Um, through through into into more digital. I worked for a marketing agency for a little bit. Uh, Then through the frustration in very kind of account manager, heavy waterfall type short projects moved into agile because I didn't understand why people weren't talking to each other.
1: So you also, uh, I think you described it in your talk at Mind the Product a couple of years ago, you have a habit, a bit of a habit, uh, of creating (laughs) communities wherever you go. And that's something that's really important was really on our mind and one of the reasons we want to talk to you today. So how did you get into this? Was it natural? Was it a decision?
2: So uh, I I guess it was kind of natural. I've always done a bunch of projects. I tend to have a ton of side projects going on at any one time. And including things like, so I used to live in Hackney in East London. I lived there for maybe 15 years. And I wanted to start a website or a forum site for people to uh, get together and do positive things because I believe that people together can do better things than people on their own. (laughs) So, uh, and there was a lot of negative. There was a few negative websites out there at the time, and I want to say actually, let's let's get people together, let's let's do positive things. Um, that was a forum site; a whole bunch of people joined, a whole bunch of people talked about local stuff, good things, bad things, um, create some community there. So those, um, and then I started a bunch of uh, meetups along the way. Uh, so I just have this habit of saying, look, there's a problem here. If we get people together, we can do something better, uh, and then saying well no one else is doing it so I'm just going to go ahead and do it and make that happen (laughs) so I guess in my my personal life that's how that started Um, and that then bled into my work life and saying look there's a bunch of people that do similar things to each other why don't we start talking to each other and learning from each other and
0: getting better at what we do together and in those kind of early communities that you built, did you find that came easy or was it quite hard to find the right people and bring them together or the kind of, you know, a- attracting the people that you were expecting to come together? I guess it kind of
2: depends. And it's always, I think, with the communities, a lot of it comes from connections that maybe you Already exist or <laughs> networks that already right. exist, uh, and then grows from there. So, uh, with Hackney, for example, I was part of. So, when I joined Twitter back, you know, back in back in the old days when Twitter was a lot more social than it is now, uh, I met a bunch of people uh, who I, who, who are, some of whom I'm still friends with now uh, through Twitter, and we started that kind of connection connection that, that naturally formed and building mm-hmm. the forum for example was building on top of that uh, the meetups that i've started and there's been a bunch of them some of them have been based on existing connections that i have and starting to kind of grow them organically or i started one in leeds a while back because i had a client in leeds i don't live in leeds <laughs> i've never mm-hmm. lived in leeds um and that was using Meetup. Just putting that out there, and Meetup does obviously that wonderful thing where it tells mm. everybody that might be vaguely interested that there's this new Meetup. And uh, one thing I've found about Northerners is they are so uh, so much more friendly <laughs> than <laughs> others. And they all kind of with that one, they all jumped in. Uh, what was amazing when I when I uh, had the first Meetup was I was thinking, oh, it's going to be like one of those London meetups where everyone stands around and doesn't talk to each other and because they don't know each other. And these, well, these folk came into the room, didn't know each other, just started conversations. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Was, it was wonderful.
0: <laughs> so for any southerner listening, if you're planning a meetup, <laughs> just invite a few northerners, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. Is that hold true in other countries besides the UK or is that a UK specific thing?
0: I, I, I can't answer that. <laughs> no, That's probably equivalent, I imagine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the things that we're all dealing with now, a lot of us are dealing with varying degrees of self-isolation or a lockdown. Um, and community just feels really important. And you've talked about the, the benefits of becoming part of a community. It's not just a group of people getting together to solve a problem, but there's other kinds of benefits as well. We, talk, tell us a little bit about those
2: so and I'll, I'll do this uh from the distributed or 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 calling the moment suddenly distributed because this isn't uh remote working or choosing to work from home uh, because it fits into your lifestyle this is you have to work from home forced to work from home everyone's forced to work from home um, there's a whole bunch of things going on that organizations aren't necessarily prepared for um people aren't necessarily prepared for so uh with communities, actually, usually the thing that I talk, number one thing that I talk about is support networks. So really effective communities that I've seen uh, really have that sense of community where people feel like they have peers that can support them, can really help them, keep them uh, motivated, engaged, and all those wonderful things in their roles. Once you are uh, suddenly at home, um, and some people are at home with no one else. Or um, they don't get to see the people that they normally see. They don't get to go f- to lunch with the people that they normally go to lunch with to share their woes and problems. So keeping connected through communities um, is super important. So like making extra effort to keep those connections going, which seems it kind of feels harder to do when you're when in this situation, um, but is, is even more important right at, at the moment the other thing that um so sharing what people are doing and knowledge sharing is is really a real value of communities and during a time where you know there are some organizations that are having to change really rapidly so it might be that uh they're having to suddenly put infrastructure in for people to work from home which they haven't had to do before and they're learning stuff and um they're finding new ways to do things and being able to continue to share that on a regular basis so that other people that are doing these things that are new and different can learn from that and can build on top of that
0: is is another real value communities right now. Mm. So just going into the whole support networks side of things, how do you create the culture within your community that provides support because In some cases, people might feel when they come into a community, sort of like they have to show off all of their knowledge or kind of, you know, act like they know what they're talking about rather than say, you know, here's my problem, help me with it. How do you create that culture of support rather than one of, I guess, trying to feel like you have to pretend that you know everything?
2: Yeah, Uh, I'd say that's kind of similar to what you might do in a team and some of that is dependent on an organization so i've worked with organizations that that's not even a question because it's the type of organization where people are you that that has some psychological safety so people are fine at coming forward and asking questions Um, and then i've also worked organizations where that's a lot less so (laughs) so um i think for me what i what i try to do with communities is say look the creating creating the connections between people uh, is probably the first thing that you do so this is for me it's why i think support networks are probably my my the number one uh, the top reason i tend to give when i talk about communities so creating those connections between people is super important and we tend to create some of those really naturally anyway so if you're and you know, we've probably all been in the situation where you're working in an organization and you're trying to navigate it or you're new to an organization you're trying to navigate it and you and you find someone that does the same thing as you and they look friendly so you start asking them lots of questions and you start building those connections there so some of that starts to happen naturally and building on top of that is quite important and i'd say other things similar to what teams do so you know, talking about principles, how you're going to work with each other, how you're going to treat each other, having some kind of rules of engagement and checking that they're still working and checking in on them and, and having a community. If you have created some principles as a community, then the members being able to point to those and own those and say, are we still doing this? Are we not doing this? Is there a problem here? And do we need to do something about it?
1: Building on that, the idea of, uh, is there a problem here? Um, I saw your talk a couple of years ago on Mind the Product, and I had just uh, finished building a community of practice at an organization, and I had made quite a few things that you had termed as mistakes, and it was a really successful community, but I also saw where things had were going wrong and and certain things I shouldn't have done. So I'm curious, what are the types of mistakes you see other people making or that you've made before when you start to build them and nurture them?
2: I've never made any mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, I think that's one of them. Like I had a, I remember having a a conversation once uh, with somebody who was building communities and I said, I went through uh, some of the points in my maturity model, some of the things that communities do, uh, things like, you know, having, having a purpose, you know, that's always useful <laughs> having a purpose I mean having some goals having some principles etc etc and uh he said yeah, yeah 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 we've done all those we've done all those uh and I said oh that's great so how often are you meeting he said oh we haven't met yet <laughs> 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 okay maybe we need to like take a bit of a step backwards and, and do the meeting and getting to know you before the working out what it is that you agree is a as a as a bunch. So I think the the meeting regularly is really important. Uh, One of the biggest challenges people have is engagement, always engagement and engagement engagement. Mm cage, because people are doing uh, people are doing jobs, they've got day jobs, it's that kind of takes priority from from doing some of the other stuff. And sometimes it's like doing doing the stuff that will make your job easier is the stuff that ends up falling by the wayside because you're overwhelmed with doing your job. So engagement tends to be a big challenge. What I see that can help with that is if you're meeting regularly and I do think that you do need to meet regularly in order to keep momentum around uh, that community is they don't know what they they put in a regular meeting, but they don't know what they're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. So they turn up to the meeting and they say, what are we going to talk about again? <laughs> what are we going to talk about this time? And everybody starts to drop off because they don't see any valuing going along to that. So, um Having kind of an idea of a bit of a least plan ahead of time about what it is that you're going to do, what it is that you're going to talk about, what are the kind of what are the things that you're interested in covering can be really useful. And I think as a community matures as well, it's like saying, okay, well, we're meeting and that's great. Can we actually change? We're actually going to do something that's going to change something. So having some um, being able to do that, being able to get together and say, what is it that we want to change and making things better? For themselves and therefore organizations um, is a useful thing to do. That becomes a real problem then if the organization doesn't let them change anything. Mm. So if you have a disempowered community, that's one way to uh, kill it, <laughs> because there's a bunch of people that are that doing, having some great ideas and doing some great work, and then they're told they can't do anything with it um, is really problematic, and that 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 can be a killer.
1: I don't know if I, I don't know if that's quite mistakes. <laughs> no, 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 it d- definitely is. Um, so one of the mistakes I made when, when I created this community is uh, the participation was really high. Um, yeah. I did a certain amount of curation and programming of topics and that worked really well. And then we used uh, a lean coffee style to for, so that the community didn't, f- felt like they, they were able to bring up things on the day. And I'll ask you more about that later. Um, but one of the problems was that i was the dominating force in terms of organizing it and no one else really volunteered i i volunteered plenty of people to do things and they were happy enough to do it but they weren't taking the initiative amongst themselves and that was one of the things i picked up from your from your book that uh, there are ways of nurturing other people to come in and be organizers and take responsibility how do you pull that off <laughs>
2: it's easy to say it right it's really hard to do it um so uh I mean that it is hard uh it could be that actually for some folk and I've seen this happen before is that the dominating voice is off steps away for whatever reason um leaves the organization is that other people start to step in um and it can be really hard uh, because I'm one of the people that will organize stuff uh, to to step away and let that happen because it, the the other side of that is could it could just stop happening. Mm-hmm. That's one way. <laughs> um, and other ways is yeah, just I mean it's it's really a difficult one, but you know finding people that are have that spark of interest and helping them like you start to see it sometimes. I, I have a bunch of communities I'm working with now, and I'm kind of waiting to see who steps forwards to do certain things. And then kind of jumping on that, <laughs> saying, OK, yeah. let me help you. Let me coach you through doing that. Um, but it is, it is a challenge that uh, often a community will survive or not based on one or two people.
0: I was going to say, is it? have you ever seen it work where there's not been one or two people leading the charge, um, where it's a bit more of a kind of open, anyone can can take the lead?
2: I think um, we definitely see that happen in some online communities uh, and I see it happen in some smaller communities. There's a piece of research that will be coming out in the next couple of weeks, be published in the next couple of weeks finally after a year. Uh, scientific papers apparently take that long. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a paper that I've written with uh, Professor Robin Dunbar, him him that talks about Dunbar's numbers and his research is all about the size of social networks uh, in human communities. Surprisingly, he doesn't think a lot of people talk about his work in the business world, which is just, I don't know, mind blowing. The Like the academic world and the business world are so far away from each other that he can't see <laughs> what's going on over there. And uh, in that, we talk about communities of kind of 40 or 50 um being able to be a bit more democratic than communities that are bigger than that. And once you get past that kind of 40 ish size, you actually need a, you need a more like a management group within it because of the complexities you get with that, that, that number of people. So it tends to be that the smaller communities can be much more democratically run and the bigger ones
0: uh, just, it just can't be. Mm. Your book is, uh, talks about communities of practice So how do you distinguish kind of just a general community um, to a kind of a community of practice?
2: So my distinction uh, tends to be around when I'm in organisations, it tends to be around role, which isn't necessarily the same as job title. Or so practice tends to be something that people are practicing on a regular basis so that they are. Uh, able to contribute to that community in a way that they um, have active practice of that subject <laughs> um, I also have the concept I mean there's many different types of communities out there um, and in organizations I also talk about the concept of communities of interest so uh, some and it and it depends on the organization as to how we define it but in some places I've said okay practices around role. It's a closed group of people around somebody that does that role regular, regularly. So you may have a community of product managers, which is product managers talking to product managers about product management things. Um, <laughs> and, they, uh, and that might be closed off uh, because we want to create a safe space so that those people can feel like they can talk openly with each other and they can talk at the kind of depth of skill and experience that they might not yeah. be able to talk about if other people that weren't product managers were in the room communities of interest tend to be a bit more cross-cutting so you could maybe you say we have an interest in some kind of new technology that's coming out or something that crosses a whole bunch of people so uh maybe it's like i don't know fintech or something (laughs) maybe uh and there's a bunch of people that might be product managers or delivery managers or developers or whatever, and they all come together around this kind of area of interest, which is which is a bit more open. So those are the two types of communities that I tend to talk about. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between them, but they, it tends to be closed versus open for me.
1: Right. When, when communities of practice start springing up in an organization, uh, one of the dangers is people start siloing really quickly. How do you avoid that? Uh,
2: yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 i ask and the easy it,
1: questions it, just for fun
2: i know <laughs> uh and it's, it's interesting because i because communities of practice are a really great way of breaking down silos because you start to say particularly if you're in an organization who has multidisciplinary teams where maybe you are so if you're a product manager you're often the only product manager on your team Mhm developers tend to get a few so at least they've got some friends to talk to (laughs) but it might be that you are doing you're working on a product over here someone's working on a product over there but actually you don't get any chance to talk to each other and the communities help bring folk together so reducing some of those cross team or cross program silos and then yes we have the challenge that you can create new silos (laughs) by doing that um so what I uh, so if you're maybe if you're at the point uh, actually somebody brought this topic up uh, recently at a a lean coffee meetup and they said their communities were so successful (laughs) people didn't want to they were like engaging with the communities more than they were engaging with their teams and their work over here Uh, and I think the advice that I gave to them was to actually start uh, doing some joint sessions with some of those silos so two, two things one is you have if your product management community and you are a closed kind of invite only community is having some sessions with other communities where things are of interest to both of you and the other thing is is having your kind of your outer circle of people that are interested in in product management and having uh, more open sessions with those folk too so always finding ways to kind of break it up a bit so you are talking to other
0: people So you mentioned that, you know, a community of practice, like one of the things to kind of make them more successful would be to meet regularly just so that it doesn't sort of just fall by the wayside and and get forgotten about, I guess. Um, And also you kind of said about having a purpose for the community. But when that community gets together, like what do you see as the successful activities that that community is doing when they meet? Are they just sharing problems that they're having or are they kind of behaving in a in a kind of in a slightly different way and um yeah is there something that kind of a a good community of practice should do Um, so
2: yes (laughs) Uh, so my advice to communities is uh there's there's different types of things that communities should do if they're doing the same thing all the time, it would it can start to get repetitive and not as valuable. So, tend to kind of break it into two categories. There is uh, thinking about yourself in your organisation and the challenges that you come across and things you have to face day to day. So that might be you know problem solving type things, or you might be saying uh, knowledge sharing, or the things that kind of. Concern you day to day in your role, but there's also a whole area where actually it's about bringing new knowledge in. So there's times where communities should be learning new things because we we all are motivated (laughs) and um, enjoy learning new things. So we they should be spending time doing that too. So that might be uh, there's different things that you might do to learn. So you might watch presentations, for example. Conferences uh, like Mind the Product record all their presentations and they're nice and uh, succinct and uh, nice length. So getting a community together and watching something like a half hour presentation uh, from a conference, which is bringing new knowledge in and then having a chance to discuss it afterwards is a, is, is a great kind of community thing to do. Or trying out new skills. So maybe uh, I'm going to keep saying product managers. <laughs> so maybe you <laughs> want to learn some new road mapping techniques. Uh, and you can do that in the safe space of the community. So practicing skills that you might use in your real life, in your job, but doing it in a safe space so that, so you can get to know what that feels like before you kind of inflict it on, on real products. Um, doing things as well, like sharing. So, you know designers have uh do things like critiques Mm -hmm. where they Mm -hmm. look at each other's work (laughs) um and they give feedback on it so we can uh, other communities taking on that on is an important thing to do as well so getting feedback from people in a safe space and things like show and tell so what are people up to um you know so discussing challenges doing uh lean coffee style meetups so giving giving people a chance to talk about challenges that they have also doing so we've got kind of i've got i'm reading through a list here so we've got learning <laughs> we've got sharing and critiquing um things like creating better practices so uh saying we do this now how can we improve what we do looking there's also spending time looking at the community so uh, like we do in our teams, retrospecting, you know, retrospecting the community. Is it working? What might you need to do to change? You know, taking mm. what we do in our teams and applying it to the community as well. And social events. So communities doing getting to know you type stuff, whether that be uh, evening things or daytime things or going for lunch with each other. It's really funny. Uh, so I've worked with communities in the UK uh, and they are people that eat at their desks usually <laughs> and sometimes if they're outside London they're people that eat at their desks and then go home at five six o'clock depending on uh, what kind of organization it is and then they don't talk to each other <laughs> and then you've got organizations in London where pub is a thing post work pub is definitely a thing um, I work with some communities in Peru and uh, the first thing they wanted to do was plan their social events That was like they were so (laughs) excited. They were like, "Right, we're going to talk about social events before anything else." Um, And I work with an organisation in India where no one eats at their desk. Everyone has a proper lunch. They all sit down together. They all talk to each other. It's a really, really social organisation. So some of some of these things come easier to some cultures than they do to other Mm. cultures.
1: So some of those things that you're talking about are not possible at the moment, and working remotely and creating uh, we. We have the challenges, uh, as you talked about earlier of, you know, distraction at home and things like that. But you also just have the, the challenge of the, a lot of the subtle cues that we have, uh, the ability to just talk to one other person aside in a corner, uh, or the uh, verbal, nonverbal cues of nodding your head and things like that or making eye contact aren't available. How do you, I, I've seen you do this in practice. So I'm just going to ask you to share some of the tips of running a good community, running a good meeting or workshop, um, When you don't have that kind of uh, in-person interaction,
2: I think online meetings can be more personal sometimes than uh, in-person meetings, Uh, and it it does depend on tech um, and bandwidth connection, and there are some challenges for some people around that. Uh, But so the online space, and this is I've been running an online meetup for just over a year, I think now, Um, and. One thing that uh, is really apparent is that the online space is, is quite unusual for people, so they don't necessarily know how to uh, say how to behave, not how to behave, but how, how they should be in that space. So when we, when we walk into a meeting room, so' for in our office and we walk into a meeting room, uh, we can look around, we can see who's there, we can tell what kind of environment it is. We know how to behave. If walk into a coffee shop, it's quite different. When we walk into an online meeting, um we're we're still in our house <laughs> we're still like kind of reading the cues can be quite difficult so uh some of the things that i like to do at the beginning of a online meeting is set up set up some expectations sometimes um so with the client at the moment uh we're using um ms teams so one of the things i say is this is how you easily mute <laughs> and unmute <laughs> um keep muted if you're not talking uh, this is how you turn your video on and off um, if generally i say to people keep your video on all the time that's not not always the case if people have difficulty uh, with internet and bandwidth so i might say you know turn your video on when you're talking so that other people can see you when you're talking so they can see those cues when you're talking um, so having some clear guidance for people around how they might behave in that space is a is a great way to start a meeting and actually it's sometimes it's kind of good meeting etiquette that we just forget in the real world when we're doing face to face meetings so we've kind of forgotten <laughs> good meeting etiquette and we've forgotten how to talk to each other about that stuff and being online has kind of brought us back to that and saying that okay we need to do these things uh, but I, but I totally so the remote meetings and, and I ran a remote conference last year did you come to that randy
1: i didn't make it unfortunately
2: Damn. um <laughs> and then there was a few things that i followed there so i put tons and tons of breaks in um tried not to have anyone sitting in the same place for too long a time i put some things in there that uh, force people to get up and move around so in the breaks uh, i said things like they had to go and find something in their house and bring it back so like a fridge magnet or a t- tin of food, and then come back and share it with each other. So the fridge magnets was fun because it's quite personal. Um, so it forced people to get up and move around. So it's it's about thinking about some things like that, and what is it that we need to do in order to keep people engaged when they're in a diff- different space, help them understand how to behave. Um, and also, uh, if you're using any kind of collaborative tools, be really, really clear <laughs> about those and how they work and practice those that kind of thing
0: and one of the things you run is um agile in the ether and and you mentioned before a couple of times about the lean coffee style meetups so explain how that works when you have a whole kind of you know a a, quite a large group of people trying to have a conversation all together at one time how do you manage that
2: so uh agile in the ether has been everyone's really polite it's such a polite group of people (laughs) um and uh i'm not entirely sure how that happened it feels it feels like a friendly group which is which is good um and i think some of that is is to do with those rules so one of the rules uh in agile and ether is actually there's there's a couple of things one is i i get people to say say someone's name if they're talking to them one of the challenges with online meetings is you can't make eye contact with anyone so and I find Mm. this and I've run run workshops online as well uh, when you're facilitating a workshop sometimes you might look at someone if you want them to say something but you can't do that online so you kind of you have to be really like specific and say that another one of the rules is that people uh, should put their hand up if they're finding it difficult to find a break in the conversation and they have something to say Uh, And I like people to kind of physically put their hands up because I sometimes find that the ones in the the tools could be complicated. And I don't use many hand signals because I I don't want to create a... uh, People having to learn a bunch of stuff so they can interact, so hand up is the thing. Mm -hmm. And everyone does it. (laughs) But they even do it when there is a break in the conversation.
1: I like the way you also, ha- you, you said you don't use many hand signals, but you have uh, built timings into it and you ask people to vote thumbs up, thumbs down or don't care um, if they want to keep the conversation going. And I find that, that that regular interaction that everyone feels like they're heard and is asked to participate is really, really important.
2: Yeah, I think the I mean, the other thing I do at agile on the ether is I start with an icebreaker. So that is a chance for everybody to say something. So that's that's always a good thing to do in a meeting anyway. It's a chance if, you, you know, you're more likely to say something later on if you said something in the first place. So it's a way to bring everyone in, give them a chance to say something, uh, which I think helps with the flow of the conversation later on.
1: Also make sure that everyone's audio and video is working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah so uh, Emily there's one other thing we want to ask about uh, which was something else that you got involved in creating which is the diversity charter which I think was originally intended around conferences but seems really applicable to communities as well so can you just introduce it and tell us a little bit about it
2: So I started the diversity charter um a few years ago and it kind of it's a project that ticks ticks along on the side and it was uh, it came off the back of a conference organizer I think asking me about about uh, diversity at events and the one thing about uh, agile uh, sorry agile on the bench which was a previous meetup that I ran <laughs> which was a meetup meet in a park um, is that it was fairly gender balanced um, I think some of that was to do with the fact that uh I was involved. There was me and there was a guy uh, called David Lowe who set it up. So there were two of us involved in running it and it was at lunchtime. And a lot of meetups I think are challenging for some people to go to in the evenings. So, um, I mean, it was difficult for anyone that was far away from where the park was, <laughs> but it tended to be fairly, uh, fairly balanced. So people were interested in that. Uh, Agile and Ether tends to be fairly balanced in, in that respect at least. And, um, it kind of got me thinking I was asked about it uh, a conference organizer asked me about it and it got me thinking about this side that people don't necessarily think about as much which is that your your audience needs to be diverse as well as the people that you have on stage Mm. so you can invite people the people on stage so you have if, if uh so you have a bit more control over it um but it's really hard if you're I think if you're standing on stage and you see a face, a sea of people that you can't recognize yourself in at all. So I think that that there's consideration for both of those things. Um, And I wrote a blog post about things that you should think about. I don't have the answers. (laughs) I just had lots of questions, uh, which ended up with me creating the diversity charter. And the intent of that was not to, you know, not to call people out who maybe don't know any better or don't know how to do things, but to say, look, here's some things that you should think about. Um, here's a charter that you can sign. Uh, the point is you need to strive to do better, whatever better might look like. Um, so that that kind of sits sits there in the background. But it's really, um, so it's, it is it is really focused on events. And I'm keen that, you know, both conferences and meetups think about this kind of thing, because I think meetups have a real challenge with diversity as well. Um, yeah. So it comes, it comes from there. Well,
1: I'll I'll give, I'll give you one last question and then you can throw it in, which was totally, and this is, you can also say no to this question. I was just going to ask, what's your favorite icebreaker?
2: Uh, my favorite, well, I guess it depends on the situation. So I, uh, I went to do Sharon Bowman's training from the back of the room training, uh, delivered by Sharon Bowman herself, who is actually brilliant. And she has these uh, four Cs concepts of running any workshops. So the four Cs, if I can remember them, uh, connections, uh, concepts, concrete practice, and conclusions. Uh, So the first thing in the the first C is connections. And um, this is really important. It's not just about doing an icebreaker. It's about doing some kind of something that helps people check into the room and into the workshop but also connects them to the material in some way so uh i so when i run uh, my community of practice workshops i have a question that talks about uh what value people get from connecting people that connecting to other people that do something similar to them so it gets them into thinking about connecting with other people gets them all have to have a chance to talk gets people writing on post-it notes and, and kind of moving around so um uh, the icebreaker is a really useful point to do something that isn't just uh, whimsical but actually kind of starts to get people into what it is that you're going to talk about later on. So the answer is it depends. Hey, I'm a coach, right? <laughs>
0: you're on
1: a product podcast, and if we didn't have at least one it depends, we would have lost our charter, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Emily, that's been really great and really insightful to hear lots of great advice on how to start and keep running successful communities of practice. I think particularly now is a great time for us all to kind of get together and try and get better at what we're doing. So um, thank you very much for joining us. product experience is the first
1: and the
0: best podcast from mind the product our hosts are me lily smith
1: and me randy silver
0: lou run pratt is our producer and luke smith is our editor
1: our theme music is from hamburg bass band pow that's p-a-u thanks to arnie kittler who curates both product tank and mtp engage in hamburg and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank. Regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide.
0: If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank.